Hello and welcome to the Earful Runner podcast, a show devoted to sharing the love of running in Disney and the stories of people who come to race in the most magical place on earth. I'm Mary. And I'm Emily, and we're very pleased to bring you the second half of our interview with Don Machow today. Don is the first person to ever complete the Mouse to Mouse, a 2,700 plus mile journey from Disneyland to Walt Disney World. So without further ado, here is the second half of our interview. Um, but now is when Emily has just been dying to ask because Emily of the podcast is the Disney expert. Um, so I understand you have a brother named Walt is Disney fandom running the family. Um, uh, I've got a funny story to tell you there. Uh, Give me just a minute. I want to run. get something. Of course. I'll be right back. Take your time. We love props. Mary, I think you should do a reverse Walt to Walt. I think you should start in Florida. Go the other Finish way. in California. Can you imagine me trying to get on the plane to come home? Okay. So I'm back. All right. Uh, so um, yes and no. Um, my brother Walt is actually named after uh, our great uncle Walt. And um, I know where your mind is probably going with that. Um, <laughs> not related to Walt Disney, but he bears a striking resemblance to Walt Disney. And um, I was chatting with a friend of mine and I forget what we were talking about. Um, Maybe it was genealogy or something, I I don't really remember. And uh, we were talking about something and my, my uncle came up in the discussion and I said, well, you know, some comment or another about my uncle Walt and here's his picture. And I showed him a picture of my uncle Walt and I still remember the guy's name, it was Ryan. He said, oh my freaking God, your uncle is Walt Disney. (laughs) (laughs) That's how much they look alike. Um, Wow. And uh, I just, no, my uncle is not (laughs) Walt Disney, but that's my uncle Walt and that's the uncle my brother is named after. Gotcha. Gotcha. So yeah, we're, we're big Disney fans. Um, but you know, not because we're related or anything like that. Um, when I was growing up, um, we were a military family. And so we only got to come back to the States about once every three years. And so every three years we went to Disney world, uh, starting, I think, let's see, Disney world was built in 71. Mm -hmm. We got back from England in 73. So, um, we would make these trips. Um, I think I'm trying to remember, I think it was Disneyland when we came back from a, a remote Island in Alaska, there was a Naval security listening station. There were, they flew planes and tried to pick up on radio transmissions out of Russia. And, uh, those couple of times were our only times to actually, you know, see any of the Disney properties. And I have these very strong memories of basically doing everything in the park I could possibly do. And we would stay there until there was a ride we had no ride we had not ridden. And uh, I remember my mom, I managed to talk my mom into going on Space Mountain with me. And she was really upset with me after that. (laughs) She did it because her kid wanted to, and that was the only reason she did it. Um, And I remember um, 
I remember bunches of things that no one seems to remember. There was a, uh, on the wonderful world of Disney, there was a um, cartoon with a guy. I remember Humphrey the bear was a, one of the characters. You're nodding your head. You remember this too, I think. Um, it sounds very familiar. He was trying to teach the bears to pick up trash. And um, they had this jazz soundtrack, which was kind of funky. And the, the uh, actor who did the voiceover for the park ranger sounded like Truman Capote. Is this ringing any bells, Emily? No, but I, well, maybe. Like, I kind of like feel like I can picture it. Um, I'll tell me if this rings a bell. Um, it's uh, the lyrics go something like, first you take the trash, put it in the bag, bump, bump. Does that ring any bells? Yes. Yeah, yes, it, it does. Yes, yes it yes, does. This that is, is stuck in my head. That is squarely like 73, 74, 75. Because that was like everything that was produced for young people between the years like 1973 and 1978 had a funky soundtrack. Everything did. From yeah. the world of Disney to Schoolhouse <laughs> Rock, the electric company, everything had that kind of a Yes, yes. Yeah, no, it was like they got the good artist who would normally be in the studio, you know, doing session work for some professional person. And uh, it's like they got him in there and did the soundtracks or something. So they had like the light bulb moment that if you put it to music, kids will remember it. Yeah. It's like, we're going to put it all to music. (laughs) Yeah, no, it was, I remember that. Um, I, I remember lots of things from my early childhood. And whenever I go back to visit the Disney parks, that's what I zero in on. Um, when we actually finished the Disney to Disney piece of the run, um, I had a request that I wanted to ride It's a Small World. And they um, stopped the ride and took us to the front and put us on there and, and did the ride. Um, and uh, in fact, I'm not sure they didn't shut it down before we got on there. I can't remember that it's blurry in my mind right now, but um, I like It's a Small World because it's quiet and it's been there since I was seven or eight years old. And um, I like the train that goes around the park. Um, I don't, you know, this Buzz Lightyear stuff, you know, never say never with Disney, but in eight years, that's going to be replaced by whatever else they did. But the train's going to be there and it's a small world's going to be there and Main Street's going to be there and all the little bits of old Mickey cartoons playing on the quiet, you know, silently on the the background, that's going to be there. And those are the parts of Disney that I go back and see again and again, sort of obsessively. And uh, the one thing I haven't done that I want to do is the Utilidor tour, but that'll happen. It's so cool. Is it really? It's so cool. Yeah, I did it. I That was my Christmas present to myself pre-COVID. And it's, yeah, it's it's really cool. Okay, I've got to do that then. I, uh, I'm i just obsessed with, with how they make the magic. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, it didn't look anything like it looked in my head. <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> well, it's funny. Um, I'm kind of fascinated by the... Um, was it the carousel of progress is that's what it mm-hmm. um i actually have a graduate degree in robotics so when i see those things talking i want to know how they work inside that's fair. and uh i saw somewhere that um 
they had made some improvements to the animatronics on the Carousel of Progress so that they blink naturally. Um, and uh, so they're getting closer and closer to uh, uh, what, what in AI they call the uncanny valley, where um, things go from looking like robots to looking like people and you're not sure and then you get fooled and you get upset. That's so interesting. I seem to remember something like when that the series Westworld came out about that, yeah. and it was you know that that level of like the difference between the um, the animatronics that are in like Haunted Mansion versus the animatronics that they've installed at the end of Pirates, right? That look yeah, or the A one thousand or something like that that move the fluidity in their motion is just like yes. really yes. crazy. Or the upcoming yeah, was... like Dancing Baby Groot, and you're like, why is that? Why does that tree walking? <laughs> Yeah, that's, like that's wild. Yeah, that's um, that's actually something called natural robotics, um, which is based on the idea that motion is spontaneous and corrected in the moment, uh, rather than planned and executed on stepper motors and relays and stuff like that. And uh, that was actually just a theory when I did my graduate work, but now there are people who have jobs doing that. <laughs> That's unbelievable. I mean, that's so cool. Like I, I watched a whole thing about stuntronics and how they're, you know, these young guys just out of Harvard and MIT are like, it's a great day to throw a robot. And they're trying to figure out how to make Spider-Man actually fly 200 feet in the air. And it's just fascinating. Oh, that's wild. Oh, good stuff. So, so you've, you've gone, you know, through the first phase of the run, you're on pause, second phase of the run. What's, what's it like starting up for the third time? knowing that, you know, or hoping that you're going to kind of be able to finish it out? Um, when we started the second time, we took advantage of the six months between our pause on March 24th of 2020 and September 24th of 2020 to reevaluate uh, how we approach lodging. Um, so we had what we called our COVID protocols. Um, we rent farmhouses instead of hotels. Um, because they were in the middle of nowhere, you could open the windows and the population was you. Um, and we took that on the road when we started uh, the last segment on uh, March 2nd of 2021. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me, when we got to Texarkana where we resumed the run, um, it was a little surreal because it felt like it had been just yesterday that we were in Texarkana. And then within a matter of hours, we were out of Texarkana, out of the town proper and onto the highways again. And there, it was a feeling of familiarity, um, getting back out there um, with the traffic buzzing past you, um, you know, scanning the shoulder constantly to make sure you didn't step on a piece of broken glass um, or get tangled in a retread wire. Um, That's a fairly common common risk. And uh, I really barked my shins up good getting my feet caught in retread wire. And because um, it, it, it stings, um, even if you get out of it, it, it kind of stings because you slap it against your own, your own shins. Um, psychologically, it was like slipping into an old pair of shoes um, to get back out on the road. Logistically, it was as hard as starting it from scratch because we had to restock the van with uh, all the perishables that we would normally take. So things like cheese. Um, um, we tried not to use, I'm not vegetarian, but we tried not to use meat because it spoiled quickly. 
Um, we used to, we had a lot, used a lot of egg salad and eggs kept pretty well in, in the fridge and the, in the vehicle. Um, we had an RV battery that we kept running the cycle on the fridges. Um, but having to restock took time. Um, having to get the gear back in the van in a place where we had documented where it was and we could get to it in an instant. Um, that took about a week from the moment we decided we had good COVID numbers and it was worth picking up the last third of it. So we knew that we wanted to start um, near the end of February of 2021, but we couldn't actually get out the door until March 2nd, or actually get out the, our door March 1st and then start on March 2nd. Um, and we had hoped to start on March 1st. Um, our schedule was in part driven by my desire to um, get to Greenwood, Mississippi, where my uh, father, who died back in March of last year uh, during the run, um, had been buried. And I had made him a silent promise to visit his grave before the year was out. And uh, we were pushing time on that. Um, I made it there with, I think, a day to spare um, before the anniversary of his passing. And uh, to answer the question, logistically, uh, somewhat difficult, but I had superstitiously stowed all my stuff in a way that I, um, rather than putting all my socks back in the sock drawer and all my shirts back on the shirt shelf, um, I put everything in like a, a laundry bin and labeled it, you know, duffel bag number one, so that when it came time to restock the van with go. gear, everything from laundry bin one went into duffel bag number one. And, yeah. uh, we had uh, we had uh, grommeted duffel bags to the to the bulkhead of the van, mm -hmm. so that we had basically cloth bound cabinets. Well, and done. that's kind of, that's kind of how we did stuff. Well done, and and my condolences. I'd read about the passing of your dad. I can't imagine how hard that must have been. He was a big fan, and um, you know, I know this sounds stupid looking back on it, but. He was a, a robust and hearty fellow. And even when his health was failing, um, he always gave you a big bear hug and a firm handshake. And this idea that somehow he was too weak to breathe never crossed my mind. And I kind of had to acknowledge the reality when uh, the day came that he finally passed. I knew why he had passed, mm -hmm. um, but it, I just didn't expect it to be that day. Um, somehow I thought he'd make it another two or three months. And, you know, I had this picture in my mind that I would meet him in my hometown and we would do a big celebration and we would do selfies together. And it just didn't happen that way, but it's all right. You know, it's one of the things that these long runs teach you and maybe life in general is that you don't always get your favorite corner of the birthday cake. Oh, that is that is true. You you had written something really beautiful about the greatest tribute to to those that that we lose is to grow into the people that they wanted us to be, and I just thought that was really lovely. Yeah, that um, I credit that to an ultra running friend of mine. Um, I may be misattributing it, but I want to say it was Stephen England. Uh, he's a, another Type One ultra runner. He I I know Stephen well. He's he he's here in New York with us. Okay, yeah. Steve is uh he's he's a he's a real he's a real I would say he's a real friend but I don't know him well but he behaves as a lifelong friend would to someone he's just met. 
Oh, Stephen Tiffany are our aces, and I can't wait to get his whole Cocodona story. I have I have as yet to see him since he's been back. So yeah, I think it was Stephen who said that to me, and it was the right thing for me to hear. So he's definitely got a pretty high emotional quotient there. No, that's he's he's an outstanding guy, and I, I definitely <laughs> like pick his brains about Cocodona because that's on my list for sure. So so you start up again for the third time. You've you've you know reinstalled the cloth duffel bags and created cabinets, and you're on your way. Like. At what point, as you're drawing closer to Walt Disney World, and obviously you were going to go all the way to the Atlantic, at what point did it start to feel real, like, I'm going to finish this? Uh, the morning we left the, um, I believe it was a 7-Eleven at uh, Florida 27 and Hartfield, Hartwood Marsh Road uh, in Claremont, headed towards the Disney World. Um, I thought, you know, I could knuckle walk 13 miles or I think, no, I was, I think it was either 13 or 18. Mm-hmm. I, I want to say it was 18 back when we thought we were going to stop at the Holiday Inn on 27 and uh, Florida 50, but we actually went a little bit farther that day. So I think we had 13 miles left at that point when we stopped at the 7-Eleven and um I just had this inkling that I was going to make it, but I didn't know how the day was going to go or what was going to happen when we got to the park. And had you had you and your team sort of been in communication with them? It sounds like ahead of time. No. Oh, okay. Um, It was a complete surprise. Um, There's actually a little bit of backstory there, and Mm -hmm. I will keep it brief because I know I've been long winded so far. You're all good. You're all good. Um, But when we first conceived of doing the run as Disney to Disney, um, we reached out to the people at Disney Media Relations and said, hey, we want to do this run from Disneyland to Disney World. We, we don't really expect you know you guys to acknowledge it or anything, but we do want to know if anyone's ever done it. And I got one email back that said, no, nobody has ever done that. And uh, as the months wore on, uh, we checked in periodically, hoping to hear more from the person in Disney Media, Media Relations. And, um, and we had also contacted the park management on their Facebook page for both Disneyland and Disney World. Uh, never got any response out of Disneyland. <clears throat> um, Disney World, I got some fairly standard responses that said, you know, your question about Disney Run has been forwarded to the right person. We'll be in contact with you. Um, so I didn't, you know, it was fairly form response. I didn't expect much of anything. And um, I guess we developed in our minds an idea that our approach to Disney World would probably be a lot like our approach to Disneyland, which was stay on public property. Um, don't get in anybody's way. Don't hold up any signs that say anything that could possibly be taken offensively or like it was a commercial exploit of the Disney name or anything like that. So um, when we got to Disneyland uh, back on February 1st of 2020 at about 9.40 a.m., we took a selfie. I took a picture of my watch to show what time it was when we got there um and uh how many miles i had run from newport beach at that point and uh leslie and i uh went over to the parking lot of the hotel across the street uh where we had reserved a spot using some spot reservation app and 
we took a picture of me and Mickey and Coco. Uh, Coco is the diabetic monkey plush toy that was co-developed by Disney and Eli Lilly, the insulin manufacturer. And um, we didn't think a second time about it. When we got into Clermont and um, we did a post, I think it was, to Inside the Magic uh, or uh, maybe it was a Disney run fan group or something like that. A couple of people said, I'm surprised that Disney doesn't know anything about this. And probably at that point they didn't, but they monitored the fan community. And when some of the uh, Disney run fans and the, the people who are just either Disney fans or crazy run people who like Disney um, started pushing the message around that I was 13 miles away from the park and I was going to be there before anybody knew it. Um, I think, and this is merely my speculation, that the Disney guys had kept their distance from it for a couple of reasons. One was because you never know if I'm going to finish or not. And if I don't finish, then where's the story? And the second one is I had undertaken considerable risk to my person physically um, being out on the highway running. And the, if you're Disney, the last thing you want to do is hang your hang, hit your wagon to that star and then have some truck hit me and, you know, all of a sudden, you know, it's you're a, a party in a lawsuit. And um, when I was basically about eight miles away, I started uh, getting indications that people were concerned about my timing. Interesting. Um, I had a TV interview at the 7-Eleven um, on Reams Road, right where it turns into Cass Parking. Mm -hmm the right turn into cast parking and somebody said hurry it up hurry it up and um i was like you know why is somebody <laughs> waiting for us and um they were like, well no just you know you, you need to get it rolling and i'm like well i'm, I'm here talking to, to news six orlando can we finish this <laughs> and they were like yeah but but then get going after that um and when we got to the contemporary there's a security guard for uh the disney disney properties that basically said are you the runner? And my first thought was, oh God, somebody has learned that we're going to be entering Disney property with a cameraman and they're going to tell us to take the cameras elsewhere. You know, you can't photograph on Disney property. You know, what are you doing? You know, um, make this fast, get off the property or whatever it was. And uh, he said, where's your wife? And I thought well, that was a really odd question. And I said, she's, she's parking. She'll be here in a moment. You know, can I help you? And he said, no, just hang tight. You got some friends waiting for you. Um, at the park. And uh, my brother Walt had um, met me out at a, it was north of Otter Creek. Um, uh, Perry sounds too far north, but uh, at any rate, um, Cross City. Uh, my brother, my brother Walt had, and his wife had met me as I was about four o'clock uh, a couple of days before as I was running into Cross City. And I thought maybe that he and his wife, uh, who they said that they needed to go ahead and get back home because their vacation time was running out, that somehow they had gotten their vacation extended and that they were at the park waiting for us. And uh, so I thought, oh, this is great. I'll get to see my brother again. And uh, when Leslie got the van parked, um, she came over and the security guard said, are you all ready? 
And um, I said, yeah, we're, you know, we're ready. And he said, okay, well, just run down that, that uh, orange path there. Uh, the, it's kind of a red brick colored path. And uh, Leslie said, I'll go, I'll hang back a second. I'll go ahead and spot where the, the gates are. And you just run to me. And uh, we had a couple people with us with bright yellow shirts who had been running with us. And we decided to use them as markers. So they went with Leslie ahead uh, to the park and I was going to run towards the folks in yellow shirts. And uh, I ran up that, that walkway uh, towards the park and I noticed somebody off to my left-hand side who had said, yay, Don, go, go, you're almost there. And I had started seeing that a few days ago, like people honking in friendly ways, waving, as, you know, go, Don, go. And I was just like, wow, where did you hear about this? So it wasn't all that unusual to see people cheering. And so I, I raised my hands and said, I love you guys, because it was just so encouraging when um, just to see people in, encouraging me to finish when I didn't know if anybody really knew about the run. And then I turned slightly to the right after waving at those folks and saw a crowd of probably two to 300 Disney cast members waiting and cheering. And I thought, oh my God, these are Disney employees and they're standing around waiting for me to show up. This must be bigger than I thought. And um, when I got there, um, it was just a, a surprise party. Um, it was, they had assigned somebody to take care of everything. Um, they had a photographer, they had a hospitality person who vouchered any purchases we made. Um, they walked us into the park. Um, they posed several photographs. Um, and then asked me if I wanted anything and then said, enjoy the park. Let us know if you need anything. And of course, I had 15 more miles to go that day. <laughs> so I didn't want to seem like a bad guest, but I was just like, OK, we can do the park for a couple of hours. But if I want to make it to Kissimmee by sunset, I got to get going. But um, truly, I mean, you want to talk about people who keep a good secret and make the magic come true. That was just a once in a lifetime thing. They actually gave me this little thing here. It's a one of a kind Mickey Mouse cap that says Disneyland, the Disney World. And um, I don't know, I just, uh, I've had a lot of kind people be kind to me in the past, but I don't think I've ever seen that level of coordinated kindness um, in my life. And that was, that was just amazing and a magical moment and probably in a day I won't forget. Mary and I are sitting here crying for anybody. Oh, don't cry. <laughs> for oh, anybody they won't be able to see us. We're, like, we're cry, both sitting here wiping away tears. But it's just, it's such a wonderful moment because, you know, you're thinking, you're going and you're thinking, oh, I'm just running to these people in yellow shirts. And then you turn and it's like, oh, no, wait. There's a whole bunch of people here. This is something else entirely. And there's somebody from parks and somebody from hospitality. And, you know, we, Emily and I probably watched the video of you going through the the tap styles into the park like 17 times because it was like and here's don and he's like at first it all i thought he was running through the park i'm like oh my god what a miracle like he's he's gonna go out the back way like when they do the marathon but um it just it reminded everybody at a moment when everybody really needed reminding that there are really good people in the world yeah i think that's the overarching element um it happened at both an individual level out in uh southern california and in Cisco, Texas, and at a corporate level with the Disney people when we got to um, 
when we got to the park. And one of the things that really stood out in my mind was the stories of the people that I talked to. The sense that I got, and I can't confirm this, but the sense that I got was that everyone who came there volunteered to be there. Um, the security guard who escorted me or uh, told me which way to run into the property, his, I believe his daughter was type one. Um, the uh, Marisol, the, uh, our photog the uh, Disney photographer assigned to us, um, she had a type one story, uh, someone in her family. Um, everyone seemed to want to be there. Um, and I think I had said before that it's really the personal stories that matter the most to me. And I felt almost embarrassed that I was caught up so much in the moment that I had to look on the name tags and super zoom on the photos to remember who it was who had been so kind to me. And I should have known those people on a first name basis by the end of the day. But, you know, to be fair to you, I mean, there's a lot of emotion there's and you're, you know, just days away from completing a, a transcontinental. I mean, maybe even did you finish the next day? When was the actual official last uh, day of the transcon? Two days later. Um, so April 5th, uh, around 7 p.m., we made it to Kissimmee um, from this is at the turn. I don't remember the, the Florida highway, but it turns onto 192, which heads to the coast. Um, we had picked 192 because it was the safest route to the Space Coast. Uh, we had looked at uh, Cape Canaveral. Um, we had looked at, there was another road uh, going into Cocoa Beach across the Hubert Humphrey Bridge that would have been very similar to the Morongo grade with a one and a half foot shoulder. And it did have a walkway, but if you had tripped and so much as taken a misstep, you would have gotten beamed by somebody's side view mirror. But uh, India Atlantic was at the dead far end of 192. It was only a few more miles than we had intended to go. And when we realized that getting in and out of the Magic Kingdom, which was the only pedestrian accessible park in the Disney World complex, um, was going to involve going north back out of uh, Lake Buena Vista, um, we decided that we would not try to go out the north side of Disney to the Space Coast. We would, we would basically continue going down World Drive until um, we got to, um, I'm trying to remember the highway. You know, 535? Uh, it may have been 535. If it wasn't 535, it was the, very, it was the one, one right before it. But, but basically, if you continue going um, on World Drive underneath the, the waterway, Mm -hmm. um, there is like a major highway intersection sort of thing. But if you if you stay on the contemporary side, you don't cross any big highways. Mm -hmm. And if you follow that curve to the left, I think it either takes you to 535 or it takes you to um, uh, the main drag road in Kissimmee. And um, so we decided to go out that way. Um, and we routed around uh, Tollway, which we would have gotten caught on if we had gotten on 192 any earlier. And um, Kissimmee to India Atlantic was 30, 63 miles. And I figured 30 miles a day, you know, that's a pretty good day for me, um, especially for that distance. I mean, for Iowa, it was, you know, 55 miles, but I've been doing this for several weeks and I decided to, to ratchet my miles back down. But the concern that I had was if I had a good 30 mile day on April 6th, 
that, you know, I would, uh, I had been nursing just shy of a dozen blisters at that point. And I thought, what if I don't have a good day? You know, what if my finish gets pushed from 3.30 in the afternoon to 4.30 and then 4.30 to 5 and then my legs are cramping and now it's pushed to 6 and everyone's wondering how long they should stay out in the blazing sun before they start getting bitten by mosquitoes or something. And I just kind of thought, you know, I'm going to try to get as many miles as I can from Kissimmee towards Deer Park, which is the basically the dividing line uh, from Kissimmee to Indy Atlantic. And uh, April 6th, I made it 37 miles, I think it was. So I had basically a 20, 25 mile day, I believe it was, into Indy Atlantic. And we got to Indy Atlantic on April 7th at 3.57 p.m., which was dead on the finish time I was shooting for. And uh, they put a nice party on for, their, for us there, too. So I was real happy about that. That's amazing. But all I could think is I just, just sit down. Like, I, I just want to sit down after that amount of time. Like, you know, like more I, than anything, I wanted a Red Bull and believe it or not, one <laughs> materialized out of nowhere. I, you know, the, you know, it's the universe has a way of providing these things at just the right yeah. moment. Yeah. Oh, Don, this is just, thank you so much for sharing this story. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about your foundation and how people can find out more about, uh, what you do? Sure. Um, I guess to clarify, first of all, um, our goal is, has been and, and always will be to raise awareness among people with type one that there are safe ways to, to exercise. Um, it's necessary to face those risks. Uh, very justifiable risk for people living with type one is that um, low blood sugars brought on by exercise can cause um, um, perception, reason, reasoning issues at the very least, uh, when your blood sugar is in the neighborhood of, you know, 40 to 60 milligrams per deciliter. Um, below that level though, it can lead to seizures, unconsciousness, and even death. Um, lowest that mine has ever been while I was still conscious was around 20 milligrams per deciliter. And that's barely enough sugar for the brain to function. And, um, it's dangerous and people are justifiably scared. We started the T1 Determined um, to bring the message to people that facing those risks and finding a safe way to be physically active saves those latter years that you wanted to enjoy um, without you know, blindness and circulation problems and loss of feeling that avoiding exercise just because it's risky and you're scared of dying in your sleep, which is a justifiable fear, can, it's like running from the bear in the forest straight into the mountain lion. And you have to decide which one you're gonna face down. Um, we don't collect or process um, people's money uh, directly. Um, all of our links on the charities page go directly to the charities and they receive 100% of the, of the proceeds. Um, we will let people buy us a hamburger and we do have a donation link. Um, but for the most part, it's really not about the fundraising. It's about the awareness. Um, if people feel that the best expression of their support is to assist with fundraising, then we want them to have a vehicle that, that um, coincides with the kind of interest they have. Um, 
the, one of our, our two most prominent charity partners are um, JDRF and the American Diabetes Association. JDRF is more focused on research and type one in kids, uh, which is where getting these good habits uh, established is important. Um, the American Diabetes Association has been a tremendous advocate fighting discrimination in the workplace and schools. And um, I'm fond of them because I've actually experienced workplace discrimination um, because of my type one four times. Uh, one, one occurrence of which led to legal proceedings. So um, I, take that, I take that matter very seriously. Um, I'm not uh, jumping the gun or reactionary or whatever you want to call it about that kind of thing. Um, having to go start a court case is the last thing anybody wants to do because it's a real life suck. But keeping people aware that reasonable accommodations um, are important for folks in the workplace and schools is pretty important. Um, I had a, a friend whose daughter, uh, Grace, uh, was told that she could not bring a juice box into the gym because they have the strict policy of no food in the gym. And um, she brought it to treat low blood sugars. And it just made me cringe that they got away with that. Um, you know, they would not tell people what, uh, coming in in a wheelchair that they had to leave the wheelchair outside and, you know, lock to the bike rack. Um, and it, to me, it's the same kind of thing. So um, I'm passionate about that kind of thing. Um, but my primary message is the one about exercise and type one and facing down the risks that you can deal with so that you don't run into the mountain lion at the end of the road. I think that's an incredible message and we will be linking to uh, your blog and also to your foundation's page sure. in our, in our if, show notes. If they go to t1determined.org, um, they should be able to touch on all the things I just mentioned. Fantastic. So we're going to close things out with Emily's favorite fast fives. Uh, so these are Disney related questions that you can't think too much about. You just got to go with your gut okay. on this one. <laughs> all right. You ready, Em? Sure. I'm ready. I haven't gotten to do this in a little while. Okay. For it. Favorite ride. I'm sorry. What was that? Favorite ride. Favorite ride. It's a small world. Uh, favorite Disney snack. Uh, probably the Mickey Mouse ice cream bar. Solid choice. Favorite show or parade? Um, probably the Christmas parade, to be honest. That's a good one. That's a good one. And uh, favorite character meet and greet? Um, I would say Coco, but nobody knows who Coco is. So I'm going to say Chip and Dale. Nice. nice. Emily is a huge fan of the chipmunks, and she's very excited to get Chip and Dale hugs once, once that is allowed again. Yeah. Yeah. No, we, we had them uh, show up at a character breakfast. And we just absolutely delighted. I've never seen people act more like chipmunks in my life. <laughs> I have the best chipmunk photos. Like they're like all of my favorite Disney photos are with the chipmunks. They're great. Yeah, I, I love them. Fantastic. Don, thank you so much for your time. I really thank appreciate it. Thank you for having it. me and thank you for letting me So, dear listeners, we hope you enjoyed this interview with Don. Uh, if you want to find out more about his adventures, you can head over to type1determined.org. That's t1determined.org. We would love to connect with you. You can find us online at earforerunner.com or at earforerunner on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks. See you real soon.